Typically, I'd pray and we just get straight into it, but because of what we are talking about tonight and in the life of our church, I want to talk story a little bit about leadership. I don't typically talk story like this too much in the beginning, so, um, and I haven't seen you guys for a long time, so that might be have to do with it too. All of us, all of us, since we came out of the womb, needed leadership. We all needed guidance. We all needed someone to follow and imitate, someone to lead us. All of us need it. All of us have suffered from unqualified or unhealthy, wrongful leadership. That's why if you're in school and you get partnered in a group and you look who the group leader is, you either sigh or you say, yes. Because either that student is a good leader and they're going to help everybody succeed and check in on everyone, or that person is not so good of a leader. They're going to either do all the work themselves or they're not going to help out at all. That's why if you play sports, you suffer or succeed based upon your coach. That's why I had a hard time. I jumped around school to school. I went to four or five different schools growing up. But one of the schools in, that I play, I won't name the school, but one of the schools I played at, our head soccer coach never played soccer in his life, but he played basketball. And he told us that the first day of practice. And I said, oh, my. <laughs> I don't want to be team captain. You know? But that's why. Leadership matters massively. And so it does even when you see children being not raised or raised in an, by unhealthy parental guidance. Leadership is so critical. And the local church is the outpost of heaven. And most of us here may have either grown up in church or been a part of a church, and you never thought once or twice or critical about why is that man leading? We've never questioned it. I've never questioned it. Maybe you have. And all praise be to God for that. But I grew up, I grew up in this church, and I never once thought to, I never really thought, how does a pastor be a pastor? And why is he the pastor? What makes him the pastor? I would just think, if the guy gets up here and he starts talking, there's the pastor. But if the local church is the outpost of heaven, and we're supposed to carry the gospel, the greatest news that could actually save souls, it's, a, it's the difference of eternity. It's a treasure in a jar of clay. If we as a church are to proclaim this gospel and protect the purity of it, then we better care and we better know what biblical eldership is, what biblically qualified church leaders are. My big burden and hope for you who are here online tonight is this. Not that I just paint a better biblical picture of leadership for you. Not merely that. I want to do a good job. And I want to be faithful to the word. But I want you to feel the gravity of it, the weightiness of it. I want you to see the importance of it. And I want you church members to get a growing grasp of this so that if I, me, veer off the rails and I start not doing what the Bible commends and commands me as a pastor to do, you will lovingly know how to reel me back in. Or you will lovingly fire me, terminate me, make sure I am not in the pulpit. And I, do, I say that unflinchingly because this is not about me. 
And it's not about any other pastor. This is about God. It's his gospel. It's his glory. And church leaders are meant to protect the purity of the gospel and proclaim it faithfully and true. I want to help our church members. I want to help you and I. If you don't go to our church, but you have another church home, I want you to think critically about who your leaders are. Not to be just like, oh, like, hmm. Not sin-sniffing and trying to get all. No, to know how to help them, to know how to support them, to know how to pray for them, to know how to see red flags. Because remember, this is not about a person and his personality and his leadership ability, and it's not about the name of a church. The apostles knew this. Paul Barnabas knew this. It's about God and the gospel. And we need qualified men. Men, plural. Men who belong to the Lord. They're God's men. I've been in the ministry. I've been doing ministry since I was 19, full-time since mid. Somewhere in my, I, 19, so I've been, I've been, I don't even know how long it is. I'm 21, so that's <laughs> two years. No. I've been doing this since I was 19. And I tremble at this because I have served with, I have served under, and I have participated in unhealthy, unbiblical church leadership and models. And I have personally suffered, and I've seen brothers and sisters suffer because we don't understand what church leadership is. If you're part of a family, you want to know who your family members are, and you want to know what each family member does. And why we don't really care much about the local church, that's something we need to repent from. And so anyway, I I hope and pray, I hope and pray that this local church and any other local churches that you guys might participate in in your lifetime, because you might move from here, and you may go. We have college students that that they just left this year, and I'm praying for, for a handful of them that God would graciously bring them to a good local church, but they would be awesome local church members. We need to know how, know how to pray for our pastors. We need to know what a pastor is. This is our responsibility. This is our family. The Bible is not silent about it. One verse. I'm going to read it from 19 just to get the context, and then we're going to just word by word do this verse. Verse 19. Jews came from Antioch, Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Paul got stone-pelted rocks to the point of almost dead for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Like Isaiah said, the brother just keeps going and going. He just gets back up and keeps going. They preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and to Antioch. These are all different cities. And they started to strengthen the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to, to keep on, continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So this is what they're doing. They're on a missionary journey. They're going this way. 
preaching the gospel, people are getting saved. Boom, 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 boom. New birth. Real regeneration is happening. City to city. They U-turn it. They could have kept going to get home back to Antioch easier, but they decided, no, let's turn around. Why? We've got to go strengthen all these baby believers. We've got to set them up for success. We've got to set them up to be solid and grounded and secure. Let's go back. They're coming back, and they're strengthening the souls, and we're going to see in verse 23, they're establishing church leaders in the local church. It's that important. So important, boys, we can't just go home yet. There's more work to do. So important. Verse 23. And when they, Paul and Barnabas and their group, but primarily Paul and Barnabas, they, you can see Acts 13 too, just so you know I'm not making that up. Barnabas and Saul were set apart for this work. Had appointed, pause, appointed. I'm not going to try to say the Greek word because I'm, I'm not going to sound smart. I'm going to butcher it. But in the Greek, it means to ordain, to elect, to appoint. God through the apostles, God through Paul primarily and Barnabas, appointed elders in every church, but they appointed. These men, you have to understand, it's God through these apostles being appointed. It's a God-appointed office. It's not a self-appointed thing. I didn't get into this office and into this role because I thought to myself, I'd be good at it. Let me try. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. And if I did do that, that's a huge red flag. There are churches that do do that. And that's why they get the leaders they have. It's not... Oh, you know, I'll just go to seminary, take a couple classes, and bingo, pastor. Nope. That's not how it works. To be appointed, to be ordained, to be elected. And we're going to see clearly, more deeply later, from Paul's letters, this took a real serious process. But we have to see this, that church leadership is not self-appointed leadership. It's God-appointed through godly men. And the churches need to, we, the local church, the hope is that by this time, we are that much more equipped where the church too now affirms and appoints the pastor. I love that when I was five years ago when I was called here to come on the pastoral staff, that it took time. I remember Pastor Bob being, I'm so sorry, there's another interview. I said, honestly, brother, don't say sorry. I love it. Grill me. Because if I don't belong in this, I shouldn't be here. I love coming here and having to be grilled with question and answers by the members, grilled with question and answers by the deacons. Honestly, I hope I, I wish I would have got grilled more. I wish that they would have, or we would have, and maybe we should do this as we move forward, looked at my marriage, look at how I parent, call my best friend. To be appointed, to be ordained, to be elected, especially by the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. We're going to see. It wasn't like this little one, two, hey, you sound, you're funny, you're good looking, you're tall, like, there's the pastor team. You can handle the, you're smart, you know your theology. There are qualifications for church leadership. First Timothy chapter 3, let's turn. We got one verse, so we're going to do some turning tonight. I ain't got to rush. You got to see this. First Timothy. This is written by Paul, 
He's writing to a young pastor. This is a pastoral epistle or letter. And I believe since Paul and Barnabas were the ones who appointed these elders in these cities, this is the same man. This is the kind of stuff they were thinking and, and drilling these men, these elders, and testing them to see if they meet these qualifications. So let's look at a couple. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. This Oh, yeah, the saying is trustworthy, writing to Timothy. If anyone aspires, that's has the desire or wants to, aspires to the office of overseer, it doesn't say, then he can do it. If you like, go for it. No, he says, if he has the aspiration, though, if he like, understand this. He desires a noble task, a good, hard work. Pastors need to understand this. It's a good work. Here we go into the qualifications. Therefore, an overseer must. What's the word? Must? It's mandatory. Not maybe. An overseer must be above reproach. Blameless. He doesn't have the luxury to live a life of just fooling around and coming off and looking all kapakai. You can't even give the impression that. He must be above reproach. Husband of one wife. He's a one-woman man. One woman. When I first read this as a young man, I said, oh, then I got to get married. (laughs) That's not what he's speaking to. Jesus wasn't married humanly on the earth. He's the greatest pastor of them all. But his character, he's faithful, sober-minded. He's not all over the place. He's not intoxicated. He's not given to his emotions. He's not some up and down roller coaster. You don't want that in a leader. He's sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. The people in his neighborhood should like him. They don't mind walking the dog next to him and talking to him. They don't He's not the kind of pastor that once he gets off the pulpit, everyone runs away from him. He's unapproachable. No, he's hospitable. And this is huge. He's able to teach. Not a drunkard. Not violent. But gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. That's huge. Check this, verse 4. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? You see the parallel that he's drawing? Pastoral leadership is very much like parenting, spiritual parenting. If you're a terrible parent at home, what makes you think you're going to be a great pastor at a church? Because the church is a family. That's why I said I wish that when they grilled me, they really looked into my home life. We should do that as we move forward. If anyone wants to enter the pastorate at our church, I would much rather sit with a man and not talk theology. I'd rather sit with a man and tell tell me about your relationship, tell me about your friendships, tell me about your wife, tell me about your children. I'll get way more out of that than if you could tell me all these different ologies. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit fall into the condemnation of the devil. In my Bible, I have written in the margin, he must not be tantaran. 
Young guys are taunted on. They get all peacocked. They just puff up the chest. and They read one good book, and they think they know everything, and they just, that's why young men, young men who have approached me and said they sense a call to the ministry, go slow, be careful. Pray for the pastors because we're prideful. We struggle with pride. We're conceited. These qualifications ought to help every church member here know how to pray for your pastor. Let's finish them. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into the disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Let's go to Titus. That's another letter Paul is writing to another young pastor. The next book over, Timothy, and then go to Titus, chapter 1. There are qualifications for church leadership, and I'm wanting to make sure we all read it with our own eyeballs. Verse 5, it says, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. And then he says something very similar that he said to Timothy. If anyone's above reproach, husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. An overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy for gain, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. And he gives us a little bit more that he didn't say to Timothy. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. That's the gospel, the apostles' teaching so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. He adds a little bit more to Titus. He says, pastors got to proclaim the gospel, and they need to protect the purity of it. They got to make sure they know what they're preaching, and they're preaching it right, but then they also got to make sure that if anything that's false or against that, or going to distort that, we got to get that out of here. We just read two long lists of daunting qualifications, and if you're in my shoes, I read this and tremble. But I want to point this out. In these qualifications, do you notice how heavy it is on character? Able to teach and reputation are probably the two that's you could get away without, you could, you could do that without having a good godly character. I could be a good teacher. You don't know what I'm doing in secret. I could have all my friends think the best of me, but you don't know who I am when I'm alone. Look at the list of all those. It's all character stuff. Self-controlled. Res- hospitable. Respect. It's crazy, and I love that. I think it was Megan that pointed this out, like, they weren't all the brightest guys. I mean, you look at the disciples. Rah. Chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. Unschooled, ordinary men. I'm one of those. I'm the one on pastoral staff that has no seminary degree. No qualifications papers. Whether you're a fisherman or a doctor, you have your PhD, you don't have character, godly character, you are disqualified. I want us to see that. 
because I need prayer for my character. And I invite you in to pray for me. Pastor Bob needs prayer for his character. And we ought to go to war for him. Pastor Johnny needs prayer for his character. The qualifications of a church leader, of an elder or a pastor, is massive. Why? Because we're dealing with massively important stuff. This book, the most powerful, important book in the universe. And the pastor is to lift this up and divide it rightly? To embody it purely? To make sure my doctrine in life is aligned? It's a huge qualification. So do pastors need to be perfect? No. Otherwise, we'd have none. I wouldn't be here. But God must break the man and humble him and train him and teach him in such a way where his character, these things are ordinary. They become the norm of this man. And that's why you don't appoint a recent convert. Because character takes time. Go back to Acts. Don't you get so discouraged or don't you get sick in your stomach with how many examples and statistics there are of pastoral leadership that is disqualified because of moral failure and character. Guys, every time I go on vacation, one of the things I do, and I don't share this with you to try to be pious, I share this with you because I tremble and I question myself a lot. But I fast and pray just for a season purely for the call of, is this what you've called me to do? Because God, I, the more I see clearly of the qualifications of this, only by your grace can any man do these things. Let's move on in the verse. It says, and they appointed elders. I just want to speak to that term briefly um, before we get to the main point. Elders, presbyteros, it's in the New Testament. Bishop, elder, overseer, all interchangeable. All right, so when you say elder, you mean pastor. When you say pastor, you mean overseer. One of the good examples of that is in Acts chapter 20. They use the same, they're addressing the same people, and they'll call them elders, then they'll call them overseer. But I told you I'm going to fire hydrant verses at you, so get ready. But the point of this point, right, I don't want to emphasize so much on the term of the office right now as the S. They appointed elders. That's plural, not elder. They didn't appoint an elder in every local church. It wasn't like, oh, bro, there's 20, 20 solid qualified brothers here. We will plant 20 churches. No, Paul and Barnabas was like, oh, we get 20 solid pastor brothers here. We will plant at least 10, maybe less. Because they're going together in plurality. You know this whole um, single pastor church model is unheard of and unseen in the New Testament? But it's seen and heard of everywhere today. There's plurality in church leadership, brothers and sisters. Just so you know, I'm not making this up from one verse. 
Get ready for the fire hydrant. Acts chapter 11, verse 30. They did so, sending it to the elders. Acts chapter 15, verse 2, 6, 22 to 23. Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders. The apostles and the elders gathered together to consider the matter. The apostles and the elders with the whole church chose men from among them. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, Acts 16.4. The apostles and the elders, 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders rule well and be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, Titus 1.5. So I left you that you might appoint, uh, remain in order and appoint elders. James 5.14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray. 1 Peter 5.1-5, through 5, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, shepherd, that's a good one for the, the elder, shepherd, pastor, all same. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, he tells the young men, be subject to the elders. If you wrote any of that down, that's fine. If you didn't, I just hope that you heard very thoroughly through the New Testament. Plurality is the norm. Do a word search. Try to look through the Bible for any other model that, other than plurality. You'll find one. I found it. Exodus 18. Moses and Israel was doing well. And there was a day, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, with his wife and the kids, came down to visit, and Moses was out there doing his church leadership thing. And it says he was out there, and all of Israel gathered around him, and he was dealing with each person, each member of Israel, each member of the church, all through the day. And Jethro got up, and he's like, what's he doing? And you can look this up. Read it. Exodus 18, verses 13 to the end. And he says, Moses, what's he doing? It's not good. And he says, Moses, you can wear yourself out. And he says, Moses, you shouldn't be doing this all by yourself. You can't do this alone, singular. And Moses is probably just like, you know, I don't know. But, and then he says this, you know what you should do? Appoint other leaders. Get other qualified men. Help let them share the burden. You can deal with the really hard ones, but then all this other burden, like share that burden. Plurality. And I love this about Moses. You know what Moses does? He looks to his father-in-law. I'm Moses, bro. What you? No, he doesn't do that. <laughs> Moses is the most meekest man on the planet. You know what Moses does? Right after he hears this advice from his father-in-law, he says, all right. And he does it. And he says, all of Israel, after they did that, left satisfied. Beautiful plurality in church leadership. And I'm so thankful that by God's grace, here at New Orleans Baptist, we have multiple pastors. And I'm praying, God, give more. Three is not enough. There's so much wisdom in plurality of leadership. I'm going to just touch up on a, three, a few things, and then we're going to move on in the verse. When you have a plurality in leadership, there's accountability for pastors. Pastors, myself, we're sheep too. I'm a sheep, John 10. We're all sheep. We all need leadership. Christ is the ultimate leader. 
But if I'm the only pastor, then who pastors the pastor? If Bob's the only pastor, then who pastors Bob? But if you have a plurality of pastors, every pastor gets pastored. One of the things I longed for when I was away sick was the pastor's meeting. Not to get together and get all of our ingenuity and figure out how we're going to do this thing, but to just be with other brothers who are suffering in the faith like me, to look at each other and say, how's your wife? How's your children? How's your grandchildren, Bob? How are you doing, Johnny? How are you feeling, man? And to pastor each other. I love that. I want that. When I got, when I got called here to New, to New Uwana Baptist Church, the first day on the job, Pastor Bob sat me down. And one of the things he said was so encouraging. He said, brother, I don't see you as my subordinate. We're equals. We're doing this together. And I was like, man, I, I pray that by God's grace, if I live to gray hair like you and, and just so seasoned and awesome in the ministry, I would say the same thing to a young man. But he just, this togetherness, he's like, we're doing this together. And then I told him, Bob, if you, if you retire or leave and I'm the only other pastor here, I'm not going to do it. And he was like, oh, yes, interesting. You know, <laughs> and I was like, I want accountability. I claw for it. It's one of the wisdoms in plurality of leadership. Another wisdom is there's quality in ministry. If you got one man carrying all the burden, he's going to burn out. But if you have multiple elders who are el carrying the load, and we're going to see a little bit clearly more explicitly later what kind of load that is. They're bearing the souls of men. They're responsible for the word of God. It's not our show. This is God, remember? You're going to want to have a pastoral leadership that has plurality of men that bear that load together. I was gone for two months. Did this shut down? No, to the glory of God, because we got other pastors. And I love coming home and seeing new faces. Because this is not about one particular person and his personality. I love the wisdom in the plurality of leadership. Lastly, there's longevity in the pastorate. Less likely to burn out, less likely, like Moses. That's why Jethro is like, Moses, you can't do this alone. You keep doing it like this. You can do this again tomorrow. Bro, when you can sleep. But when you have a plurality, guys, if we have a plurality, if you go to another church, or if, you're ever, if you ever leave our church and look for a church, Look for that. Is there just one guy up there doing all the work? Or is there a team of qualified men that are working together? Let's move on. Elders for them in every church, and look at this. They did this with prayer. Why? Because it's all Holy Spirit. It's all God. You read through the book of Acts, they pray all everywhere. We are such a prayerless people. God help us. You don't want a prayerless pastorate. Prayer, 
fasting, we talked about that in observation time. It speaks to the seriousness, the gravity of this. They, now I love this. I think Tani brought it up in her question. What does it mean to be commit? They committed them. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I love, they committed them to the Lord. Church leadership belongs to the Lord. Your pastors belong to the Lord. They give an account to the Lord. They're your, these are your men, God. If you are a pastor or you sense a call to be a pastor, understand this. You are God's man. And you don't get in that office and do whatever you want to do. You belong to him. Whom they had believed. Who do they believe in? The Lord Jesus. They're not putting their faith in this person. They're not putting their confidence in, oh yeah, my pastor is the best because he's funny and he's talented and he's good looking. Oh yeah, he's kind of, he likes the stuff I like. That's none of their confidence is in that. He belongs to God and I believe in Jesus. And if Jesus, King Jesus is his Lord, and he gives an account to him. He's really God's man. You ought to look at your pastor. And I pray that I will always look at my pastors, my pastor, and see that he's God's man and he's walking with God. We show up to Sundays and we don't want to just hear a lecturer or some professor tell us information. I want to see God's man. I want to see a broken man who walks with God and knows the Lord. I want to know that Bob and Johnny belong to him. These are my pastors. That's how we need to pray for our pastors. That's how we need to see them. We need to fast and pray for our pastors and that they and we commit them and commend them to the Lord because that's who we trust in. That's where our faith is in. Not in these people, not in not in the person. My faith is in Christ in him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I told you Timothy was a letter written from Paul to young Timothy, who's a pastor. This is, listen to what he says. He says, I know, oh, so he says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I know Timothy, who I trust in, that's the Lord Jesus, and I'm convinced that he, Jesus, is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So he's giving Timothy huge insight. Me, Timothy, as an apostle or a pastor or a church leader, I know who I believe in, and I know who's able to guard me and keep me in this office and faithful to the end. That same God who has me that I belong to, that I am commended and committed to, is the same God that you are. And so, Timothy, I can look at you, young pastor, and say, God has you, and because God has you, it's going to be good. When they appointed these men, they fasted and prayed and committed them to the Lord, the Lord Jesus whom they believed. The Lord Jesus who saved these men, just like he saved us. That's who we believe in. I, I get sick and nauseous about how celebrity Christianity starstruck we are in our country towards pastors in such a wrongful way. And I struggle with this myself. They're just men, and they're God's men. 
We have to know this. We're almost done. But a church isn't to have their confidence in elders or men because of their skill or background or personalities or even their resources. But their confidence is in Christ and that these men belong to him. You have to see that. And when, this is great, because if I'm a member of a church and I see without a shadow of a doubt that my pastor is God's, I'll follow him. Because he really does know the Lord Jesus and he takes his cues from him. I'm going to finish with just three verses that speak to the pastorate or eldership or church leadership and just make some comments and hopefully these are practical helps for us as a church. Two of them in Hebrews, one of them in Timothy. Hebrews 13, 7, you can write it down or turn there. We're going to just close with this. Hebrews 13, 7. It's debatable who wrote Hebrews. Most people debate it's over Paul or Barnabas, which is great for our study tonight because Paul and Barnabas are the guys who are planning these churches. So um, that's cool. Verse 7, it says this, remember your leaders. That's convicting already. How often do you recall your pastors to mind? But notice this, remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Not remember your leaders who told those so many funny stories. Not remember your leaders who are super, I don't know, educated or what. what. No, remember your leaders, remember your pastors who actually preach the word, who preach the Bible. And consider their outcome, their way of life. Imitate their faith. You know what this is crazy in implication? That means the pastor and the member rub shoulders enough where you can actually consider the outcome of my life. If you only know me from this, you, I, oh, sorry, I get frustrated. I have friends who tell me, who speak so highly of their pastor, and, they, and, then, they, and then they tell me who their pastor is, and they don't even live in the same state. Their pastor's online. And I'm thinking to myself, does your pastor even know your name or what? Oh, no, yeah, he's, okay, just wondering. But this gives a model of the pastor and the member. They're so closely in fellowship and in life that you can actually consider the outcome of it. You can weigh in how they do marriage. You can weigh in how they do finances. You can feel, you can actually get close enough to imitate their faith. How do you imitate something without being near it? See, pastoral ministry is not just pulpit. I want to love you guys and those online who I can't see right now. I want to know your faces. I want to know your names. When Paul writes to Rome, the church at Rome, you know at the very end when he gives his alohas, he blasts like maybe 15 to 20 names of brothers and sisters. That he, oh, oh, and also you, Phoebe. Oh, and you... Paul's not some celebrity pastor who just goes around and just knows numbers, no faces. The pastorate, shepherds smell like sheep. And sheep know their shepherd. I have a question for my heart and for all of us. Do we know our pastors? Do you know them? Do you know what they like to eat? <laughs> do you know how many children they have? Do pastors, do we, and I call myself out on this, do I know the members? I get 
way down in my heart when I pray through the directory and I have so much question marks on a page. This morning was not so bad. I knew everyone on the page that I prayed through, but yesterday I was so, half of the page I had question marks. I don't even know who this is, Lord. Consider the outcome of their life. Imitate their faith. Do we know our pastors? And do we remember them? Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they, huge, are keeping watch over your souls. It's the same chapter, 10 verses later. Those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy, not with groaning. That'd be a no advantage. Obey and submit. Follow your leaders. But it goes back. If you're really praying for your pastors and you believe that they're qualified and that they're God's men, I mean, it'd be a joy to follow them. Follow the leaders God's given you in the church. We live in a time where leadership and authority is so abused that we all got trust issues with any kind of authority. You're not the boss of me. Well, you told me to do that. You told me to do that. We're coming into this new, new life and new family already with, with disadvantages. We don't naturally want to submit and obey. But we need to learn to do this. Why? Because these are men who are keeping watch over your souls. That may, ought to make any real pastor tremble. Tremble. That's why we take membership seriously here at our church. You're not just a name on a page. Your soul that's destined eternally to hell or heaven. Christ is that difference. And the pastor needs to make sure that person knows. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. And I'll just tell you guys this as family. The five years I've been here in Iwanu, nothing but joy. Such a joy. Such a joy to be in the, involved, to bear burdens with you, to be part of your victories and your failures. Such a, such a joy to see so many here have grown so much in the faith. I could pick out easily name after name and talk about how Oh, you have grown. It's been a joy to serve here. But as a church member, and for me, even as I think of Pastor Bob, I ask myself, does he groan pastoring me? <laughs> this is a good word. Because if you are, that'd be no advantage to you. Do my, does my pastor groan over me because I'm disobedient, stubborn, and I fail to realize the weightiness of his calling and really who he is in relationship to me? Lastly, 2 Timothy 2.2, and we'll close. Paul telling this young pastor, you then, my child. I love that. I love that Paul calls Timothy a child, my son. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and entrust now, Timothy, to faithful men, other faithful men, plurality, who will be able to teach others also. This is four generations of pastoral leadership in one verse. 
Paul to Timothy. Timothy to the next guy. And those guys to the next guys. Understand this about pastoral ministry or church leadership or biblical eldership. It takes time and it's also it's generational. This is how we send the gospel to the next generation. I've told many people this in our church already, that you go into my office, you see my personal study in my library, I'm thinking of the guy after me when I'm dead. I want him to inherit something that will help him keep this going on, keep lifting up Jesus so that in this local church, in our city, in our community, more souls hear about Christ. That's what this is all about. This is not just merely clever or wise structure of government. No. Timothy, you got to take this gospel, be faithful in your time, but entrust it to other faithful men who will then entrust it to other faithful men. This is about our children and our children's children whom we've never met yet that might grow up in this church. Do you care about those souls who are unseen? I'm asking the Lord to put that in my heart. That's what this is about. We are all sinners that were broken by sin. And we grow up, we're living in a broken, fallen world that's falling apart before our very eyes. And the only reason we can take heart is because Christ has overcome it. How has he done that? He came and lived the perfect life and died the death that we deserve. And he rose from the grave three days later, triumphantly and confidently. And he has the righteousness of God. And he calls everyone, everyone, everywhere, repent. Trust in me. Trust in me. Repent of your sin. Trust in me for the forgiveness of your sins. You will be saved. You will. You'll be welcomed into this family. That's the message that burns in our heart. And pastors are the men who need to protect that, preserve it, proclaim it. And make sure it goes from this generation to the next and to the next. And we as a church family and as local church members, we're responsible for those men. This is your family. I'm your brother. I'm just this part of the body. For now. I may not be in the pastorate for the rest of my life. But however long the Lord wants to use me, I want to be faithful. And the church family needs to understand the, the, the weighty responsibility and calling that the Lord has on me and the other pastors. And we need to pray. We need to support. We need to build. Pastoral leadership takes time in a local church. But we're seeing Paul and Barnabas launch it, plant it, so that all of these future brothers and sisters growing up in these cities, they're going to be grounded and solid. So that by God's grace, if, you, if we were to go check out those cities today, there's still local churches there. We'll close like this. You know, I'm so thankful that God has blessed our church with plurality, but not that, but that I believe God has blessed our church with future men and women who are going to rise up and be solid church leaders and solid church members and... Um, one of the things that I'm very excited for us as a local church, I'm going to speak to our family really quick and we're done. As we grow, as we grow in our membership, as we grow in our understanding of church leadership, our elders, our deacons, our pastors and deacons, whatever term we use, but as we get a better, better biblical grip of it, what's exciting is we expect God to gift the church with more. And when he does... 
if we as a whole family, not just the pastors know the qualifications of the pastor, but the whole church family knows this stuff, then when young Timmy or Billy or Bobby gets up here in the pulpit sometime later next year or whatever and gives it a shot, before he even gets up there, we know how to pray for him. We know how to support him. And even when he stumbles and falls, we as a church family are going to know how to lift him back up and affirm and appoint possibly another pastor. Oh, how cool that would be to be in a church that raises up leaders from its own. That's actually a lot more rare than you realize. In our denomination or in our convention, even on our, in our state, there's double digits past, uh, churches right now that have no pastors. They're just scrambling to find pastors. Fly them in from anywhere. Come to Hawaii, pastor here. Okay, maybe. Guys, come down two years gone. But oh, how great would it be to have a healthy church that really raises up biblically qualified leaders? Amen to that, right? Thank you for being here. I hope this was edifying. And I hope this helps us know how to be better members in our churches. But how to really fight for the gospel and the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. I know that we looked at one verse, but there was a lot. And I pray that by the power of your spirit, things would be retained. I pray that we would weigh in these things. And I ask, we ask, Lord, that by your spirit and your grace, you would gift the local church, not just ours, but local churches everywhere, with biblically qualified elders and pastors and teachers, men who are humble and broken by the gospel of Christ, men of character. We pray that you would teach us as a family as we look around and see our children running around and young men and women believe that they're in our midst. This is all for you, God. This is all about you. And so we ask that just by your grace, you'd make New Wanda Baptist Church a healthier church, and you'd start with the leadership. Thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for bringing us back in person and back into Acts as we continue the trek of seeing the Spirit of God take the gospel to the nations. We pray that you would continue to create within us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. We love you. Keep us abiding in this love. Be with us now as we fellowship. In Christ's name, amen.